Welcome to the newest Eden Center podcast, Building Ourselves Through Parsha. Our host, Karen Miller-Jackson, will use the Parsha to explore an aspect of social, emotional, or physical well-being relevant for 21st century life and its challenges. Karen is a certified Matan Moralalacha, Jewish educator, writer, founder of Kivun Sherut, a guidance program for religious girls, and creator of Power Parsha. Consistent with the Eden Center's goal of enhancing women's spiritual life through Torah and Mikvah, Karen's insights, we hope, will serve as a springboard for self-introspection and discussion. Hello, everyone. Following our theme of well-being in the Parsha, this week I would like to continue to focus on mental health sensitivity and awareness. As with all illnesses, one important aspect to living with mental health challenges is to have a set of coping mechanisms in place for the times when they are needed. Often, there are signs or symptoms that signal a need to pause, breathe, and be mindful that you or your friend or relative needs help. It is at this crucial turning point that things can be hopefully managed or can unfortunately spin out of control. This week's Parsha contains some insight into not letting fear and panic spread rapidly and uncontrollably. Additionally, after these Torah thoughts, I will interview our friend Yedida Lubin, a Torah scholar and Eden supporter, who will share her personal story of being diagnosed with bipolar disorder after childbirth, and who will share her coping mechanisms, which everyone can learn from. Parshat Shlach contains one of the most tragic stories in the Torah. A delegation of spies is sent to scope out the land of Israel. The majority of the spies return with a negative report, and their concerns spread quickly among the people, leading to the entire generation being punished by dying out in the Midbar. Let's take a look at the language in the Torah, which biblical interpreters see as keys to understanding the tragic flow of events in the Parsha. First, Hashem commands Moshe to send the spies. He instructs them to check out the land, and specifically to see what kind of country it is, are the people who dwell in it strong or weak, few or many? Is the country in which they dwell good or bad? Are the towns they live in open or fortified? Is the soil rich or poor? Is it wooded or not? And this is what the spies reported back. We came to the land you sent to us, and it does indeed flow with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who inhabit the country are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the Anakim, the giants there. Here, at first glance, it seems the spies have done everything as they were commanded. In fact, the Ramban points out that this is exactly what happened and that they do exactly what Moshe commanded and questions what exactly did they do wrong. The Ramban answers that the word which marks a rebellion here is the word ephes, literally zero. Here it means however, nevertheless, but the Ramban comments that this word was so final that it shut down all possibility of conversation on how to respond to this negative report. Ephes, say the spies, conquering the land was an absolute impossibility. At this point, Kalev tries to quieten the discussion as he likely saw which way the wind was blowing, but he is overridden as the spies continue to spread panic amongst Bnei Israel. Vayotziu dibat 
the Meraglim spread evil reports among the Israelites about the land they had scouted, saying, The country that we traversed and scouted is one that devours its settlers. All the people that we saw in it are men of great size. We looked like grasshoppers to ourselves, and so we must have looked to them. If before the Meraglim only spoke the truth and answered Moshe's questions, albeit with a word of finality, Ephes, here they have shown their true feelings, which the nation has already picked up on. They were scared and panicked and did not believe that they could be successful in their mission. Ultimately, they did not have faith in Hashem's plan for them. Immediately following this, the panic spreads from the Meraglim to the entire nation. The Torah states, Vatisa kol ha'eda va'itnu et kolam va'ivku ha'am balaylahi. The whole community broke into loud cries and the people wept that night. Several commentaries point out that here too the people still had free choice to cope with the words of the Meraglim and try to manage the challenges of entering Israel. However, here the whole community breaks out into cries of fear and panic. Rashi and Hamek Davar teach that this was not the average Israelite who could be easily influenced by the spies that started the crying out, but rather the leadership, the Sanhedrin, who heard the words of the Meraglim and broke down. The leadership set the tone. Then their cries were heard by the people, who in turn lost their faith and cried out in their helplessness as well. This is a story of emotional unraveling of B'nai Israel. The finality of the words of the Meraglim and then their uncontrolled anxiety and fears spoken out spread panic to the leaders and then to the entire people. This story is a lesson in developing awareness of how to be more aware when, we, when our own anxieties arise, and it also teaches the importance of learning coping mechanisms to help gain control in situations and not let the panic spread. These are not easy lessons, and so next, we will hear from Yadida whose personal experience can be a lesson in coping for us all. Yadida Lubin made Aliyah from Memphis, Tennessee in September 2000 after graduating from the University of Pennsylvania. After a brief stint in Israeli high-tech, she studied at Hebrew University, earning an MA in Cognitive Science and learning in the Chavruta Beit Midrash. After taking many classes at Matan over the years, she studied there full-time in the Advanced Talmud Institute from 2008 to 2011. Currently, Yadida teaches the Daf Yomi Shir at Matan on a weekly basis. In her spare time, she is building a digital archive for her family's memorabilia. Yadida lives in Jerusalem with her husband and their two children. Hi, Yadida. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, it's great to be here. I've been listening to the podcast for months now, so it's really exciting for me to be on the podcast. Thank you. So uh, I'd like to start out, first of all, by saying thank you for being brave to come here today and share your personal story um, about how you discovered that you have mania and how you have coped since you found out. So we'll jump right in. Um, can you share with us a little bit about mania and what it is and how it affects you and in general, a little bit more about it? 
so technically I have what's called bipolar disorder, um, but my particular bipolar disorder has a tendency to mania, meaning I never go to the depressive side of the spectrum. And for me, the, my main symptom of mania is an inability to sleep or more accurately, um, I wake up after a very short amount of sleep with a lot of energy. Um, and that's the other real symptom of mania for me is that I have um, a lot of energy and I actually feel like in, in a manic episode, I'm actually feeling pretty good um, because I have all this energy and I want to do all these things. Um, but in, in when you look at it from the outside, my thinking is not very rational and I never actually get any of the things that I want to do done because it's really a lot of nervous energy and it can't really follow through with anything. Um, but then I, it really all comes back to the sleep because um, sleep is a symptom of the mania, but lack of sleep also enhances the manic uh, symptoms. So the more, the, the less I sleep, the more manic I get. And it's a, it's sort of a catch 22. And so most of the time that I'm in sort of a manic episode, I'm trying to deal with getting myself to sleep um, whenever and however um, that works. I think another important thing to note is that it's not just typical insomnia and I can't just take a regular sleeping pill um, to go to sleep because it just doesn't work. Um, my brain is just sort of on all the time. Um, so, yeah. Wow. It's so, it's so um, amazing to hear you describe it because it's really something that's lesser known in the world and, and it's important for mm -hmm. people to know, to know about this, to raise awareness and to help people. So based on your experience with being diagnosed specifically postpartum, what advice can you give others based on that experience? And in particular for women who are going through hormonal and emotional challenges after childbirth? Right. So I'll go back and, and explain a little bit more. Um, so I gave birth to my son 12 years ago. Um, and right after I gave birth, like I was feeling amazing and I would get up with him in the middle of the night, um, but I wouldn't be able to go back to sleep. And I thought this was my first child. I had no idea like what things were supposed, supposed to look like. Um, and I already fell into this cycle of lack of sleep. Um, and it took a little while. And then I was diagnosed with postpartum mania. Um, and I experienced it again with my second child. But at least at that point, I had a psychiatrist and I knew um, more about what was going on. Um, but even so, it was, it was difficult to, um, first of all, have this experience where I'm really feeling amazing and being told, no, this is abnormal. There's something wrong with this and you need to do something about it. Um, so that was very difficult for me. Um, but I really did um, connect with a psychiatrist who I trust and who who I felt respected my choices and, and respected my self-awareness. And I was able to work with him um, to get control um, of the mania. And also in subsequent years, I had um, manic episodes that were not connected to childbirth at all. And that's when I realized that, yes, I actually have bipolar disorder and it's something that I will be dealing with for my entire life. Um, but I think you wanted to know like what advice I would have for people. And uh, I think two things. One, to listen to what people are telling you. It's, it's very hard a lot of the times when you're in a situation um, to listen to people from the outside because you think you know yourself. 
Um, but maybe people on the outside have an insight to give you um, and you should trust them and trust that they want to help you. Um, and I think, and, and that's the other piece is finding help. Um, when you, uh, you have, it, it takes, um, it takes a lot of self-confidence to say, I need help. Uh, and once you can get to that point, um, find the professionals that can help you um, because they are out there and, and you should take advantage of them. Totally. Fantastic. Uh, yeah, so, you know, I think that um, sometimes we have to go to an extreme to, to really understand more about um, what is needed and to really help people understand um, that there is, there is a range of what's normal after childbirth and then there's beyond that. And just thank God today we're more sensitive, but we still have a ways to go um, to helping people who are struggling after birth. Mm -hmm. uh, so now um, I want to branch out a little uh, beyond the specific experience of mania, and this is something which can really apply for many sorts of mental health challenges, of which today we really, um, we know people, it's just becoming more clear that a lot of households are dealing with this in some way. Can you share with us some of your coping mechanisms? Um, specifically in this week's Parsha Insights, uh, I'll touch on this topic of uh, the panic of the mirror gleam and how things can easily spread out of control. How do you help yourself when you realize you're going into a cycle um, or something specific is, is starting to make you head into feeling manic? Yeah, that's an excellent question. And it, we call them triggers. So there are, there are triggers for, for mania. And I think um, also what you mentioned that, that very quickly um, mania can get out of control. So the first thing that I've developed over the years is a, very, a lot of self-awareness. Um, because the most important thing to do is to catch it before it gets out of control. Like if I, you know, I already know that if I miss two nights of sleep, that's it. I'm, I'm in totally manic already. Um, but it, if I can catch it before I lose those two nights of sleep, it, it would, things would be a lot better. Um, and one of the ways that, that I've developed um, self-awareness, I think, is through a practice of mindfulness. Um, it took a while, but I learned how to meditate. Um, and meditation and breathing um, are just a way of grounding yourself. And, um, and that's another thing is to really live in the moment in absolutely right now. I think um, it speaks a lot to panic, like in, in this week's Parsha also, there, B'nai Israel are worried about what's going to happen when we get to the land, but it's going to take them a while to get there. Maybe it didn't need to take 40 years, but it wasn't what was happening right now. So a lot of times when I'm starting to freak out about something or like, you know, what's, what's going to be with next week or, or even, or Shabbos or all these kinds of things, um, just to take a deep breath and say, well, what needs to be done right now? Um, so be, living in the moment and dealing with just the things that you absolutely have to deal with, I found to be very helpful. Um, another thing that can help with that is way back when, when I was experiencing my first mania, a very wise woman said to me, there are things around the house that always need to get done. There's always going to be laundry and cooking and cleaning. Pick one thing 
that's going to be your thing to do. So I picked laundry because that is something that I can just always do. And it really serves as an anchor um, to be very grounding. So chores or just mundane things can be a very grounding experience um, that I find can help you if you're, if you're really struggling to be in the moment. Um, and I think, uh, I think the last thing I would say is patience. Um, that whatever situation you're in, you have to believe that it's only temporary um, and it will pass, you know, however you get through it. Um, so it, it will pass. Wow. Sounds amazing. And it sounds, I can only imagine what a journey this has been. And you really have a lot to teach all of us. Uh, definitely applies to, I think, everybody in some way. These, me these mechanisms can be very helpful. So you've been so brave in sharing this story. What, um, what message would you like to leave us with for your listeners at the Identified Heart? Right. So I think I would like everyone to believe in yourself and know yourself and also know when you need to ask for help. Amen. Thank you so much and Shabbat Shalom. Thank you. Shabbat Shalom. It's been really great to be here with you. This podcast is hosted by the Eden Center, whose goal is to reinvigorate the ancient female ritual of mikvah as a sacred space for women and use it as the natural platform it is to connect to Jewish women's health, well-being, and healthy relationships, enhancing Jewish women and family life. We invite you to visit our website, www.theedencenter.com, to learn more about our work in making mikvah relevant, welcoming, and meaningful. This episode is recorded by Karen Miller-Jackson, edited by Mecca Shore, and is a product of the Edison Center. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please consider sponsoring a podcast in dollars or shekels at bit.ly backslash E-D-E-N-P-O-D. Additionally, give us a five-star rating, share this podcast on social media, and encourage others to subscribe. We welcome your feedback by email at podcasts at theedincenter.com.